Coming to you from New York City. This week and every week, it's the Ben Kissel Show. I have so much makeup on my face from red eye. I don't. Oh yeah, I look good though. <laughs> yeah. I got those old broads there doing the makeup. They're pretty hot. Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to call them old broads. Are we live <laughs> right now? <laughs> uh, no, we can start the show though. Yeah, All does. right. Welcome to the show. I'm Ben Kissel, as always, joined by Mike Coscarelli. Hello, Thanks for everybody. being here, Mike. Mike just survived a hell gig on a boat uh, that was not his demographic to perform <laughs> to be performing in front of. So I'm happy you survived, Thanks, Mike. Man. You, when you bomb on a boat, you got to stay on the boat. Toughest so, place to bomb. <laughs> worst sucks. place to bomb. Yeah. Best place to bomb on the subway yeah. when your stop's coming up next. And, and you, you can, can just exit. Yeah. Right. Anyway, all right. Today's guest, very happy to have him. Amazing comedian. Also from the Midwest. You got you, you, you to love him if he's from the Midwest. Eric Bergstrom. Hi. How you doing? Thanks for being here, Eric. Thank you for having me. Eric I'm happy Ber- to be here. Well, absolutely. Uh, Eric, you do, uh, you're a great stand-up comedian, and you're a brilliant writer, and you do very quick one-liner-styled material. Yeah. And this is a, really uh, one of my most, um, I'm envious of the ability of a good one-liner comedian because you got A, you got B, and there's so much pressure to get that punchline right because you don't have the character. Like Mike was alluding to before the show began, there was a character that performed on his uh, on his boat show that was very animated yeah. and didn't exactly necessarily have a lot of content or punchlines, but he did a funny hand gesture and people loved Crushing. it. Crushing. Crushed it. Right. Following people yeah, to the bathroom. No hand gesture. You have no hand gesture. You're just standing up there. It's you against the world and you've got two sentences and the sentence ends with a punchline. And if that doesn't get a laugh, I mean, that's got to be a difficult thing to recover well, from. Well, if it doesn't have a laugh, uh, I don't have a personality to fall back on, so I'm <laughs> exactly. doomed. No, that's, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, jokes. They work weird. Jokes do work weird. Everybody would agree with that sentence. But, of course, most of your jokes do very, very well. I said, all of your jokes do very, very well, and they always have a huge amount of applause and laughter when you are finished saying one of them. You are from Minnesota. I am. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. The uh, Minnesota and uh, St. Paul, they call them the Twin Cities. They are. But uh, neither of them are actual cities. What do you mean by that? I mean, come on. Are we talking oh, Minnesota? Minnesota to New York. Yeah, no, they're just little garbage shanties. You're right. Right. Why can't we? I mean, New York. I mean, New York and uh, Boston. I mean, these are these are twin cities, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia. Uh, well, I, even twin-wise, I... I Minneapolis is more of a real city than St. Paul is, I think. Right. I don't know. I like, uh, yeah, I mean, they're small. I mean, as a kid, I thought that they were huge. And mm-hmm. now when I go back there, it's like just one uh, little portion or borough going yeah. on there. But, uh, yeah, I like New York more. Uh Minneapolis is charming. And New York loves you. I The first time I was at a school, and it was called the University of Wisconsin Stout. And it was in a town called Menominee. And my friend, this was right after 9-11, my friend threw a couple of snowballs at a random truck. And because the cops thought that the next terrorist attack was guaranteed to take place on the soil of UW-Stout to Menominee, Wisconsin, they aggressively tackled him and charged him with the offense of throwing of a missile. That's true. They charged him with throwing of a missile, and it's been on his criminal record ever since. And the, the governor was about to try to get it off of... Uh, his uh, off of his record, but it wasn't a felony, which is insane. If he did throw a missile, you would think that would be a felony, but it was a snowball situation. 
Anyway, one of the first places I ever performed stand-up comedy was at the Acme Comedy Club. Oh, I took, great place. I got in my uh, yellow Geo Metro convertible. It was, I was longer than the car. It was an incredible ride. I went over to the Acme Comedy Club. I put my name, or I signed up on a list. I was one of the five comedians that got to go up in front of an actual show, in front of, real com- uh, in front of a real audience, w- for a show that actually had real com- uh, comedians booked on it. And then myself, what was your experience starting stand-up in uh, Well, I started Minnesota? here in New York, actually. You didn't start in Minnesota. No, I didn't start in Minnesota, but I did go see some of those shows, and uh, I do like Acme quite a bit. I've uh, traveled back there and done shows there, too, but I, I started here in New York um, about eight, nine years ago. Uh, the first mic I ever did was at Kingdom of Heaven at the Creek in the Cave. Right, right, Long right. Island City, but uh, yeah, I started here. And did you think that was an easier, this city was an easier place to start than in Minnesota? No, I think that it's actually a more difficult place to start. And I do actually hold some of why I do one-liners to be related to that. Because here it's a lot... It's a lot tougher, and people are actually a lot more brutal, so I just had to be uh, smarter faster right. during mics while I was building up my chops for that kind of thing. Uh, and then I've uh, kind of expanded from there. So I don't, I'm don't. i told that it is not the wisest thing to do to come to New York and just start stand-up on a whim. Right. So I don't know, but I, I did that. I mean, whoever tells you that's a, he's a moron or she is an idiot because it's one of the smartest decisions you can possibly make. Move to New York and start doing stand-up comedy. Why not? Absolutely. Everybody get out of here. It gives you a strong backbone when you just throw yourself on st- uh, up on stage in front of a bunch of random strangers. Obviously, we're going to talk about your situation happening right now with, uh, with some illness. Yeah. But with, it, with the backbone of character is uh is really uh, solidified in in life experiences that make you initially uncomfortable certainly scared but you go out and you conquer that and that is the initial the, the taking that first step on stage is the most difficult step you'll ever take in your entire life grabbing that microphone and uttering your first sentence is one of the hardest things a human being can do i think it's uh yeah one of the best decisions i've ever made right. uh I do think it is a little bit dumb, maybe a whole lot selfish, uh, but it is uh, the most fun. And Well, one of the reasons I started, too, was I, I used to be shy, uh, so it was real brutal getting mm-hmm. up on stage. Uh, I mean, I had a list of jokes that I had written out, uh, and it, it kind of went like the first time I stepped on stage was great because it's just adrenaline, mm-hmm. and then the second time, uh, that's when the shyness, like, really, like, no adrenaline. It was, the, like, the most brutal set I've ever had. Right. Uh, like a piece of paper in my shaking hand and that kind of thing. I always think that... <clears throat> I always think that's so amazing because we do know a lot of extremely shy comedians who, uh, you know, in order to defeat their shyness, they jump up on stage and become the center of attention because that's the only way that they can somehow offset the uncomfortability of just being in a crowd. Yeah, it's kind of a weird mixture of, uh, you know, 99% of the time being shy and a shut-in and isolated. Right. And then taking that 1% of the other time, just the influx of... Of people that you like a bit talking to a big crowd of people, maybe the same number of people that someone, a normal person would talk to throughout the day, mm-hmm. but just all concentrated at once. Like that's my social, uh, 
I guess need. I don't know. And because you know for a fact you have these three, five, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes to be performing in front of people, you have a finite amount of minutes and seconds to be up there, and you know as soon as you're gone, as soon as you're off stage, it's done, and then you can breathe a sigh of relief. So when you're on stage, you might as well enjoy it. Yeah, although I've started having panic attacks as soon as I step off stage. Oh, okay. Like it goes the other way now. Yeah. Uh, which is because that's uh, off stage. That's a crazy, unpredictable place. Yeah. The unpredictable, <laughs> uh, the unpredictability of stage, of being on stage, is kind of uh, you kind of throw yourself to the wolves, and there is something, uh, there is something to give yourself to a, a crowd of people. Yeah, right. You never really know how they're going to interpret what you're saying. Obviously, we you know try to hone our performances to be as deliberate as we possibly can be, and come through with our message as clear as possible to alleviate as much uh, confusion in the crowd of what we mean. Uh, you know, but you never know what people are going to be thinking at the end of the day. Yeah, but there's still a well on stage. There's a stable sense of repeated uh, or reproducible public speaking. So I know what I'm going to say while I'm up right. there, and I have a, I have very least a framework. And then off stage, it's like ah, uh, oh, that's pure chaos. Right. Right. And you've had some uh, some absolute chaos uh, going on in your life right now. You were recently diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. Uh, so what do you have? I have Hodgkin. I have stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, which is in several parts of my body, including my bone marrow. Uh, so I'm I'm undergoing uh, chemotherapy right now right. in hopes of uh, correcting that. So that just seems like an absolute. Uh you know, speaking of unpredictability, you go to the doctor. What did you feel? Uh, you were feeling ill. You just continued to go to the doctor, and inevitably they finally did the proper tests, and uh, and you were able to connect with that doctor uh, doctor audience to get what uh, to get what you needed. <laughs> yeah, it was about seven months of being real, real sick, uh, having all kinds of symptoms, and not knowing why. Uh, and doctors, because I'm a skinny kind of nervous guy, so doctors told me it was. That was just uh, it was just anxiety. Yeah, uh, all of them gave me a uh, like a little drug speech about like because they I don't know what they thought I was on, but they just assumed I was losing because I lost twenty pounds. Mm. They thought I was on like diet pills, and then they uh, diet pills. Yeah, out of all know, the things that they would think that you would be on diet pills, there's never been a a great uh, Jared Leto character, Jared Leto character, where the guy's addicted to diet pills. Well, at I the mean, very least, give you heroin. Yeah, they thought. I mean, something cool. <laughs> yeah, something. I mean, don't diagnose the guy with a diet pill addiction. What is he? Is he Susan Powder? What's happening? I'll make diet pills cool. Yeah, of course. I'll show them all. Nah, that's one of them typical millennials addicted to diet pills. I've seen it a hundred times. Huh. <laughs> this generation. Oh, it's going. Next thing you know, they're going to be taking horny goat weed to get hard. Ah. Does that work? No, it gives you a heart attack. It's probably what uh, nearly killed Lamar Odom. Do not take horny goat weed. I don't know. Shit. I don't understand why anybody ever thought that would be a good idea to take. Everyone I've ever known that takes it, you, your heart just starts racing. I don't think they get any uh, arousal. I don't think it works whatsoever. It just uh, you know, oh, damn near kills you. That yeah, that's the other thing about. Okay, so I. Um... So eight months ago, you're feeling ill, you're feeling fate, you're sweating, you're going to the doctor. I'm they sweating. accuse you of having a diet pill addiction. Yeah, I had a resting heart rate of 133. Uh, so like, just, What's it supposed to be? Uh, you know, a, a healthy person has like one beat a second, so 60. Oh, so you were doubling up. I was doubling up. I was right. doubling down. Um, the Yeah, it, it, I was having night sweats. I was having all of the textbook symptoms of Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
except for they they just couldn't connect it, and they're sending me to a right. series of specialists who all uh, would listen to about a paragraph of what I was saying. Uh, give me a little drug speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me what that they knew exactly what was wrong with me, like an ulcer or something like that. Uh, put me through some kind of horrible test, like a colonoscopy or a, uh, just drawing a ton of blood. Uh, I've had, I had like in the last year, I've easily had a hundred tubes of blood uh, drawn. I, I get really. Well, yeah, I mean, is Henry the Eighth? The, the the king of the country here? What's going on? It seems it seems like medieval medicine. They were just we'll take it. They'll take the blood. Well, they're ta- I mean they had to make sure that it wasn't uh, all that, that it wasn't like Lyme disease. That it wasn't some kind of thyroid issue. Mm. Uh, I've had easily six or seven AIDS tests. Uh, just it, the problem with Hodgkin's lymphoma is. Uh, that it's throughout the body, so mm-hmm. like because the the lymph nodes are throughout the body, so that they couldn't figure out, uh, they couldn't pinpoint like one location mm-hmm. for it, uh, for like because I had sharp pains and aches, uh, and just sleeping a lot. Um, was it they they tested and they found my iron levels were low and that my uh, was it hemoglobin was also low. Uh, they gave me a bunch of iron, but then my my iron went up and my hemoglobin was still going down. Uh, so that's when they knew it was, there was a real problem. Mm. Uh, they put me into a CAT scan, and that's when they saw that uh, my lymph nodes were swollen and that it was and that I wasn't batshit crazy. That's was, right. Then that's when they realized you weren't addicted to diet pills. Very good work, doctors. So throughout this entire process, uh, it seems like you're having a difficult time relating to your audience in this situation. Those are doctors, and uh, it seems like you were doing as poorly as Mike did on that cruise ship to relate to the <laughs> audience. They just were not understanding what you were trying to well, uh, throw down. And I'm sure some of the audience members on the boat that you bombed in front of uh, Mike thought that you might love some diet pills as well because you're in such good shape. Uh, I don't know if that's completely true. But All right. Thank you so much for the participation. <laughs> I should have I should have made more Chinese jokes while talking to the doctors. Yeah, when you talk true. to the dot, that's right. Killing. Chinese and, accents killing. Oh, it, it crushes on, 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 on cruise ships. I hate it so much. But, uh, but yeah. I mean, Blood and, in my stool. Right. Let the doctors know the difference between the genders and how they drive. That, that, uh, that, uh, that'll get them to pay attention. Oh, it's a brud. Okay, Mike. They can't do any more of those. <laughs> So you're going uh, to the doctor. You don't know what's wrong with you, and you're still pursuing stand-up comedy. Yeah, the, yeah. The whole time I was still doing shows, uh, drinking. I mean, drinking Red Bulls like a beast yeah. because I was getting, I was constantly tired. So I, uh, but I, I was starting to sleep more and more. So it was like twelve hours a night, and then in June it got to uh, one night I slept twenty-two hours. Uh, like June, I just spent in my room sleeping mostly. Hmm. So, uh, I'm going to say I am a little bit jealous uh, uh, just of that month, just of the month. I mean, luckily I had a gig that paid pretty well, uh, and, was, and I'd saved the money and I was paying rent and that kind of thing. Right. But, uh, I was still going at, the only time I would pop out was for stand-up, uh, shows, uh, cause I mean, that's, I care about that. Was this something you would look forward to? You would wake up in the morning, uh, you know, after waking, after sleeping for 18 hours and be like, I have not, oh, I have a stand up show tonight. I, at least I have something to do. Yeah. Yeah. I do look forward to that. It was, uh, I mean, I, I, I also, I also thought, uh, that I was going to, they were going to figure out what was wrong with me and then that was going to be a quick fix. Right. Uh, and then I was, 
I was, I would just keep investing and doing stand up and that everything was going to be fine, uh, which it, it very well could be now. Right. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess that was something that kept me going. Yeah. I mean, that's the importance of laughter. And of course, in your situation, you are sort of a a darker guy as well. I know you're I don't mean I don't think you're goth, oh, yeah. but some people would be like, you know, he's he's got a uh, I've dated a lot of goth chicks. Right. This is what I'm saying. You have sex. With, if you have sex with the goth chicks, I yeah. mean, you have a certain goth appeal to they, you. They get it on you. It's good. And I used to have more hair. So the right. Uh, real emo looking, but um, so maybe it uh, played into the character, so it was able to kind of uh, you can gloss over it easier than if Cat Williams ends up getting uh, stage four uh, lymphoma when he runs across the uh, the the, the uh, high school auditorium that he's performing in and gets winded and like, uh, like that little cancer pale. pimp should yeah right 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 uh yeah it's I get I have a lot of jokes about death right. So uh, at any point when you were going through this struggle, you didn't know exactly what was happening. Uh, did you when you were doing jokes about death? Were you at, at any point? Uh, did you ever think about not or were you just like, I'm tripling down on death? Uh, I, I would triple down. I, I yeah. don't I mean, I, I would just be pretty honest. Like uh, I had a colonoscopy, so I would make jokes about that and that kind of thing. Like it was uh, what was it? Uh, I had a colonoscopy, or as I'd like to call the worst way to get free ginger ale. Yeah. Which is, uh, I don't know if you've ever had one. But no, I haven't. I know there's something butt-related. Yeah, they, yeah. Uh, look it up. Um, so what happens? They just bend you over there, it's humiliating. And you know what, I never, every time I go to the doctor, I have no idea how to put on the uh, the, the paper suit that they gave you that they give you yeah. i have no idea do you put it on like a normal jacket do you, you wear it, it backwards back- backwards i always usually. do it wrong yeah it's uh it's a pretty dumb setup i don't know it's uh they put me on i was unconscious for the they did the colonoscopy and the endoscopy which is down my throat uh same within the same 20 minutes oh nice uh yeah it was uh, so they put you under for that so you have no memory of being no, uh, invaded like you were abducted by an alien right right uh it's uh it's preferably creepier that way so. right so you're going along you're having all these tests taken you got the cat scan they finally realized that it's not the diet pill addiction that these doctors were so certain that it was and they realized you actually had something a little bit more serious yeah and how did these doctors, how did they present this news to you? Because I can imagine they presented this news to people hundreds of times. Do they have any human touch, or is the entire process extremely cold? See, they, here's the thing. They have a human touch, but I've noticed this. Uh, I, I had four or five different doctors tell me that it was lymphoma. Uh, and they'll tell you it, but they, they'll do it They'll do it gently. Like, uh, like, I don't want you to freak out, but like... Uh, you, you have you have Hodgkin's lymphoma, right. and then they pat you on the shoulder, but they all use the same cadence to say it, and they it, their voice would like I I noticed that it was like a trained thing that they they were practiced in uh, giving bad news. Right, 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 right. Sort of like if you go to a uh, rub and tug place, I would assume from <laughs> one tug to another tug, they have a similar technique. Yeah, eventually it's just muscle memory, and you get used to. Uh, turning on that part of your head yeah Yeah, and all the hearts gone all all the hearts out of the tug yeah yeah i I don't know i don't like that you you want some heart in that tug you do so these doctors just sort of went through what they knew that they were supposed to go through and they have to pretend as if they care did you feel as if they did i think they did they did actually care but uh they are 
I feel like they were more robotic when giving bad news and then would switch back to being normal people that uh, were trying to work towards me getting better. Right. Um, they, they, could, they could lead off with, hey, you have AIDS, never mind, you don't. We got better news for you. <laughs> yeah, they didn't fuck with me at all. They That's were all, good. They were, actually, they were all, uh, some of them were apologetic that it took so long to diagnose. Oh, thank God. Okay, so we should get into that a little bit. Eight months to diagnose. I mean, do you feel as if you have any legal recourse in this situation? See, I, I'm told by the oncologist, which is a cancer doctor, I didn't know the word before, that that with uh, lymphoma, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, that, that it, since it's throughout the body with all these symptoms, it is hard to diagnose, and it can take... Because I have the absolute latest stage of it. Basically, I have... Uh, like the nightmare version of a very treatable cancer. Right. But uh, I still have a fair chance of dying. Like uh, it, it varies from 35 to 25% chance of dying, which is, I mean, better odds than a lot of things. But that's, uh, it, I mean, given that I was actively trying to get them to diagnose me with something desperately right. for months and months, uh, it is frustrating. Yeah. And of course, you you can't go back in time and uh, erase the damage that's been done. Control power, you know, power and control. These are things that stand-up comedians like to have, right? Because they feel as if the universe is completely insane and they want to carve out one niche where they can have their say, have their uh, persona shine, number one. This is why they don't do improv. This is why they don't do sketch. This is why they like to be alone on stage because they have complete control. How has that been dealing with something that's so unbelievably unpredictable, you have no power over it whatsoever. You're at the mercy of these doctors who, for all intents and purposes, uh, they don't know you. You don't know them. But you're in one of the most important battles of your life, and you're fighting it with people that are total strangers. Well, during that time, it was very stressful. But now that I've started chemo, there is a little bit of, uh, like, there's a, there's actual science behind it. So I can, I know what they're doing. Um did you think you as soon as they you got the diagnosis with uh, diagnosis? I mean, my brain is so like negative a lot of times. If I stub my toe, and I'm like, "Yep, typical. I I got. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna get the gout." Oh no, no, I knew I was gonna. I mean, I've always half jokingly thought to myself, "I'm gonna die of cancer," and once it gets bad enough, I'll just take a gun to my head. But uh, uh, cancer, and you can check those and more lighthearted <laughs> jokes out on Eric Bergstrom's new comedy no. album, Shotgun Wedding. My jokes are actual, real jokes, but right. that's I'm not. Uh, yeah, the uh, you know, if it's terminal, right. why not just cut it out? I mean, why yeah. slowly die? No, uh, I, I totally agree with you. But uh, do you feel like you're? I mean, uh, this, but I, I'm not terminal, so I, right. I don't, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to people that are going to fight to the bare end. Uh, bless it, do what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what were you going to ask? Well, uh, when it comes down to just uh, preparation for everybody's ultimate demise, right? Everybody knows that we're all walking corpses, and I think this is why uh, comedy is so important. This is why comedy exists, and this is why we constantly make light of unbelievable, uh, dreadful situations. You look at most comedies if. There's about 20 people that die in your average comedy. Yeah. If you take into account car accidents, random, you know, whatever, random gunfire if it's a Martin Lawrence feature. I mean, the amount of people that were to be murdered by a straight bullet alone would be huge. So we laugh at uh, death as a human, as a species, so we're better prepared when we do get the final news. Yeah. I mean, that that... We, when we do get these terrible pieces of information that uh, 
you know, that our life is in jeopardy. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, laughter is just something that you could be afraid of uh, or should be afraid of and then find out that it's safe. I mean, that's uh, isn't that what it is biologically that they find? Like, in animals, I don't know where I... Does anyone know this stuff? What is it? Laughter is something... Okay, like, laughter... Like a biological level is is like worrying about something that might be dangerous, right? And then the relief that it's safe. Sure, I mean this like is why you so- set up a, a, a racially charged setup. For example, everyone will be on uh, on edge, and then a good comedian cracks it open with a perfect punchline that yeah. allows people to relax, and hence uh, laughter occurs. It's like stress, and then relief, and then it's uh, released in a clever way. It's like uh, that silly aha moment. Right. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, I guess that's the so laugh- essence of it. Yeah. But, I mean, that's – so when the stakes are raised to something that like death, which everyone, which is very universal, very relatable, mm-hmm. everybody worries about, and that's the ultimate, uh, oh, hell no, like that's uh, – like that. there should be a lot of uh, funny things about death, mm-hmm. and there are. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the first thing you do when you're born is you take a big dump, and then I think the last thing you do is take a big dump. You do literally a potty humor to open up and to close. That's the that's the uh, set of life. Yeah, you don't need... That's a great thing, that you don't even have to be... Are we allowed to swear? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, so you don't need... Yeah, you get to die, and then you shit yourself, but you don't have to be conscious when you shit yourself. Right. That's beautiful. Yeah. Somebody I'm... else has got to clean up the mess. Somebody's got to clean up your corpse and your shit corpse. Right. That's fun. So when they sat you down, awkwardly explained to you, you got stage four in your head, did you feel uh, extremely, uh, what was the emotion? I mean, do you feel uh, I, like you wanted to fight immediately? Were you like, I'm done? Were you like, I need some booze? I mean. No. I, when I found out that it was the worst it could be, it was, uh, I, I mean, I felt like a Jewish mom who uh, could use their suffering to make other people feel. It was like, yes, I knew I was the worst. Uh, right. Like, uh, but. I don't know. I I mean, I think I felt pretty numb and proud of and kind of proud of myself to have the worst cancer, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to have one, go all the way. Yeah, I mean, if if you got a I don't know what I got to think How do about you, that. You know, there's a lot of obviously a lot of sympathy going out uh, in your direction and rightfully so. There is a GoFundMe that everyone should donate to immediately for Eric Bergstrom. Uh we'll put the link on um the link will be on the uh on the All Things Comedy page. Uh, how do you uh, do you ever like what's that? I was gonna say, I was, I'll put it in the SoundCloud too. Oh, awesome! Thank you. Yeah. Um, do you like the idea of people having sympathy? Do you like the idea of people feeling like, oh, woe is Eric? We better help him out. Or does that make you uncomfortable? For me personally, when people uh, feel as if, um, not, not that you're a victim, but when people sympathize to a degree. It almost makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm interested to hear your feeling because some people, there's whole diseases based on people who claim to have diseases. So then people will baby them yeah. and, uh, you know, treat them as if, treat them with kid gloves. Uh, it, it makes me super nervous. Like right. I've, I've had people donate uh, money to that GoFundMe uh, and I, I'm not, please, please do. But I, I've had panic attacks because it's like, ah, God, that's too much money. What are you doing? Like, right. uh you could use that money for something like, ah, it's super nice, but I'm just me. I'll just quietly die in the corner. You do what you want with your money. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> like, I I don't know. I feel like it 
doing something like that forces me to be less uh, humble, which is fine, but uh, it does make me anxious. It's a, it's right. a lot of so you sort of have the uh, I guess to some degree what happens when people win these awards like an Academy Award they're always like I'm so humbled you love me I can't believe it I always thought that was a very confusing reaction when you win something yeah in my mind you should go on stage and be like so it's obvious I am the best we've all known that all this time <laughs> um, but you felt a similar way when people were reaching out uh, and showing you um, and telling you how much they love you yeah I mean what is uh, love doesn't seem natural. No, what are they doing? But yeah, I don't know. Especially it's, comedians. Every time a comedian is nice, something's wrong. Something's it, going it, on it, in their it, head, and you can never trust them. That's, but at, but the whole uh, comedian, uh, I don't know, society uh, community has been very nice and right. very uh, warm, uh, and I'm super thankful. Uh, yeah, it's it's it has been. Again, to say humbling, it's it's been humbling to be treated so nicely by so many wonderful people. Um, but they, there still are those moments of, I don't, I don't know, I don't like uh, attention and being taken care of, but I don't have a choice right. in a lot of ways. Um, and that is what it is. Yeah, and now you know the 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 comedy community has been very helpful, or attempts to be as helpful as they can be. I mean, a lot of these people. I mean, as a comedian, we can't do much. We're microwave dinner people. You know, we're not. Uh, we're, you're not going to be eating well if comedians make you a bunch of food. Yeah, but uh, they. Well, been... Some of them are women. I hear. Oh, really? Yeah, women can be microwave. You are using gender norms, Eric. Oh, gender uh, corrective correctness. Yes. All sympathies out the window. Those Every woman words. I know is a microwave dinner kind of gal as well, but maybe that just shows you how the kind of people I hang out with. But uh, what was your uh, what's your family life like uh, growing up in Minnesota? Why did you come here? Uh, did you did you just uh, come here alone to New York, or did you fly over with uh, you know pats on the back from everybody and uh, in a group of people like some people do? Uh, my family life is garbage. Good, <laughs> great. That's exactly what you want to have it's in this night- situation. It's nightmare garbage, and it continues to be nightmare garbage. So. Um, I am, uh... Have you uh, been able to speak, I don't know what, you, you, uh, your father or your mother, have you been able to reach out to your family and tell them what's going on? Yeah, they know what's going on, but it's the kind of, it's the weird kind of thing where uh, if I contact them, I have to start taking care of them, because they're all, like, there's drug addicts and homelessness mm. and all kinds of, like, yeah. crazy people. Um, so I'm, I'm like, the oddly the most stable one in the group uh, right. uh, that got out of that, so... And they were uh, they they stayed in Minnesota. Yeah, they're still there. Yeah. Uh, although I have one little sister that just moved to L.A. and she's doing okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So there wasn't exactly a huge family to fall back on with support if you you you're oh, calling God, them no, with terrible no. news and they're like, but did you know that? Well, God knows what's going wrong. Well, there's there's support and there's uh, prayer, which is just very nice wishes for me. But um, for the most part, uh, there's. There's, like, no uh, structural money or support. There's people that I should be sending money to if I uh, actively had a job right now back yeah. at work. So, Well, if they uh, get their money on that GoFundMe campaign. Oh, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird issue. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't kicked any cash into that? 
No, oh no, no. I mean, I have aunts and uncles that are normal, but I mean, basically, my mom has been homeless for fifteen years. I have a little sister that's addicted to heroin that has four kids, uh, and it's well, how'd she find the time? Yeah, no, I know. Well, she made the time, but oh. not uh, taking care of the kids right now. So, uh, I'm really glad that she was able to muscle through that problem um, or sleep through it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's. Uh, it's the stuff of – right before I got sick, uh, I went and tried to fix things, yeah. uh, came back, and immediately got sick. So it's just a big old went, – went there and failed to fix anything. So I yeah. don't know. Big old ball of stress. But uh, I can't deal with it now, uh, which is fine. I mean, I mean actively, it... just to stay sane, I'm doing much better by not trying to fix it. Right, 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 right. And that was definitely the responsibility that you felt you had with the family was to fix all the family's ails. And then, of course, you fall ill and it makes things a lot more difficult. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they've all been very sweet towards me about yeah. uh, having cancer. I don't know. I had I, – okay, I have an aunt and uncle that did visit. One of them uh, – they they took me to uh, – what is it? the the That hotel that has a view of – No, but the, the W – is it the W Hotel? No, no, the 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 one that has a great view of the 9/11 Memorial. Oh, they what tried a... to cheer me up with a great view of the 9/11 <laughs> Memorial. Uh, and oh then, my! Are, was it Morticia and uh, whatever Adams? They're they're a little. Uh, my aunt walked around the 9/11 Memorial smiling. Good. Uh, and she told her that uh, she told me. Uh, that she just felt good and calm because she was surrounded by so many angels. Oh yeah, which is a nightmare. And then my uh, then they tried to lay on hands, heal me, and my uncle had uh, healing sand from a back room of a house in Mexico uh, <laughs> that they put on my sweaty, sweaty chest. Right. Uh, so maybe that sand is working its magic right now. Do you believe in ritual at all? I believe in. Um, I believe in positive thought, and if yeah. enough people believe in something, it does do something. But I don't uh, – and ritual, it's uh, – you know, that's a weird thing. I think that uh, – what, what is that? When, when, you, when you believe in something I, – I believe that the positive thought is the pre-action, uh, and that action could actually help fix something. But right. then sometimes the ritual takes place of – what you should be doing to help, you know, like the um, like for confession, if somebody mm-hmm. goes into confession, it's like, oh, I punched that guy. And then the priest just says that uh, yeah, that's four Hail, Hail Marys. It's like the priest doesn't tell you to go, well, go apologize to that guy and try to be nice to him. It's not right. I don't know. It's it's never make it up to the person. Uh we're doing a for last podcast on the left, the podcast I do on Cave Comedy Radio. We're doing this week. Uh, this week's topic is chaos magic and uh, oh, how chaos. you can use uh, you know sigils and all these things. Have you? Uh, I mean, a lot of times uh, people who are be atheists or agnostic or m- maybe spiritual, they'll up up they'll up that uh, that the importance of spirituality in their life or your magic, which is one and the same. Uh, have you found yourself doing that, clinging to any of um, and rightfully so, any uh, any of those spiritual rituals that well, might uh, help with your mind? I guess a weird spiritual ritual is that I kind of think chemo is that, because mm. I go in there, they put needles in me, chemicals go in, 
and that's kind of like a ritual and then it's kind of, and then I, I have no idea what any of it means right. or what it is I just believe in it so I guess it, the weird like medical science is my weird ritual and religion right now no but I think that's absolutely fascinating because magic and science you know magic and it's uh you know I don't even know I guess truest uh term not like you know David Blaine uh magic um it, it does blend together to some uh, yeah, to some just, degree. I mean, you could say that magic is just science we don't understand yet, right. but it's like only one percent of that is valid, probably. But right. Like uh, it. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't have a medical degree, and really, it just with chemo, it's so much just like ah, I hope this works. I'll keep eating healthy, and and just not having control over it beyond uh, trying to be healthy yeah. and stay sane. I don't know. Is it all consuming or are you able to get a mental break from all of these stresses? Like being a stand-up comedian isn't stressed out is stressful enough. You know, career for a comic, it's all that we think about. And uh, yeah. it is like it's the end-all be-all because like a quarterback on a football team or the president of the United States, we are uh, in charge. We get the uh, accoutrements of success when we do well. But all of the unbelievable de- uh, devastation and criticism when we uh, maybe don't live up to expectations or we do live up to expectations, but still somebody was upset with some random thing. Yeah, I mean, if somebody's upset with us, we are just one person each. And that's why it's so uh, tough. Like the criticism is tough because right. and a lot of us don't have PR people to say, like, uh, don't say something stupid. I'll respond for you. Right. A uh, person that just goes around and deletes all of our tweets before we get the Daily Show. Yeah. Yeah. And then we don't have to be in any trouble at all. But, you, OK, so you had a turbulent childhood. You start doing comedy. Stress. That's tough enough. And now you have this. What's the what's what is your uh, regimen for mental stability? Um. Well, right now I'm just taking it easy and trying to like because. It's it's a lot of good week, bad week, and then even within that, uh, some days are like a lot worse than others. But uh, I, guess, I guess I'm stuck indoors at home a lot just because my immune system is screwy right now. And that's like just trying to watch, watch things that it, like – and it, trying to write jokes uh, has kept me pretty – okay because like at least there's a silly stupid outlet of like facebook and twitter and i can just babble uh, holy lord you must be doing terrible if you're looking at facebook to feel good about your life <laughs> but and i mean twitter. that's but if say i'm isolated a lot right, right now right. um so do you actually think this is a with those social media technologies it's all on our phone right now we're forever connected we're always we're so close we're, we're one click away from interacting with a friend would you say that that has uh that that ability to interact that uh ease of interaction has been helpful it has been it's uh it's not a 100 percent like supplement but it is right. a little bit uh useful um I think that what else am I doing? I'm eating better than I ever have, and that's nice. Like a lot of organic, healthy, tasty right. food. Uh, and I'm, I mean, there's been a lot of support. There's a lot of attention. Uh, and the weird thing about being a comic uh, is that it's a lot of attention, but not necessarily. For what I would want it to be. Right, of course. It's like, uh, I want to be known as a very funny person, but then 
It's like uh, everybody knows me as that guy who's been around as a funny person uh, who also has cancer now. And well, the I mean, cancer is that. But, it's yeah. something that I think is going to play. I mean, obviously, you're going to survive this. You're going to be completely fine. And you'll have that uh, experience, and you'll be able to relate to people who are going through similar struggles yeah. or whatever it might be. So it, at the end of the day, as weird as it is, but as comedians, this is pretty much like I was trying to get to earlier. All we think about is career. This is a big get. Oh yeah, stage no, this four is, cancer. This, this is huge. I mean, this this is bigger than last comic standing. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a credit that not a lot of people have. It's a very exclusive uh, yeah. club, um, and it does. I mean, I'm not playing a sympathy card, but uh, there is there have been comics that I really like uh, that have sympathized with yeah. it. So yeah, yeah. What's one of the uh, your the the best gigs you ever did? One of the best gigs yeah. I've ever did in my life. Yeah, golly, they're all garbage. No, it's the uh, what is it? Hmm. I did a week in Minneapolis that I enjoyed. Uh, yeah, you got else? to see uh, some old friends and things like that. Yeah, but they don't. That doesn't matter. No, yeah. that matters. The uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I I do a show every Friday at the Cobra Club in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably the what I enjoy the most doing consistently. Um, since I've gotten sick, I haven't been there for like a month and a half, but it, the show is still grow, going and growing uh, with Amber Nelson right there, and I'll be back there as soon as healthy. Uh, but I think that's what I, uh, Live from Outer Space, Fridays, uh, that's what I enjoy yeah. the most right now. So, Is it too early to ask what uh, you're, you've learned about yourself? From or cancer? From, 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 from all of these experiences. As a shy kid in Minnesota from, you know, I mean, growing up in the Midwest, people think that, you know, I don't know why I keep on harping on The Daily Show, but Trevor Noah coming from South Africa, he, he grew up very, very successful and very wealthy, by the way. Um, Did he? Yeah, yeah, he's fine. Um, the uh, That trip is just as far of a trip emotionally as it is coming from Minnesota, Wisconsin uh, to New York. I mean, coming to New York... From inside mid- the middle of America is no easy feat. It's an unbelievable culture shock. So you have all of these experiences. Yeah. Uh, what's one thing that you've learned about? Is it resiliency? Well, I'd have to say that New York for me has been the only place that has ever felt like a home. But um, so it's I'm maybe more comfortable here. But there is. I won't even call it resiliency because my standards for life have been pretty low. Um, <laughs> I guess, I guess what it—it's like a nebula slowly coming together, and things are just making more sense. Yeah. So, like my my ability to what I've really gained is the ability to process uh, the world around me uh, in a better way. I don't know. I don't. I haven't gained much of anything, yeah. but no, I have. Um, well, no, I mean, these life experience. I mean, uh, I feel like a cliche, but probably a truth would be living in the moment, recognizing, you know, I mean, you just, we we as people just walk by uh, things that c- could be or should be taken more seriously, but we walk by hundreds of, them, uh, hundreds of those things a day and don't pay any mind. Yeah, I mean, I guess you just, uh, one thing is like I, Pretty passive, but I—I I mean, when when the moment hits, I mean, just don't take shit. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm not giving a lot of 
good points on this. No, I mean, I don't think that there is. It doesn't matter. I mean, so there's a confidence to some degree with knowing that uh, nothing matters because no, nothing that you are facing is going to be nearly as large of what you, than what you're going through. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, incomprehensible that uh, incomprehensible that I will die to me. So it's it's still kind of a. I don't know if I've fully accepted it yet. I, don't, I mean, I fully accepted the situation. Right. Because it, do, it just doesn't seem real still. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I guess. It, well, you're not going to die, so. Yeah, no, I don't think I will. But uh, maybe. May, hey, God willing. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's perfect. Um, any advice for people who are going to the doctor who feel sick and the doctors just constantly tell them that they're uh, addicted to diet pills? Yeah, just just well, press at it. Well, watch out for like you you maybe you have what I have, maybe you have something else, maybe it is just anxiety, but like watch out for things that like I didn't know that night sweats, which is just like sweating out at night, waking up soaked, yeah, is something that is a uh, sign of lymphoma and cancer. Uh, this happened to me repeatedly. I didn't think anything of it other than, oh, it's hot in here. Right. Um, also, if you have a lot of pains throughout your body, just get yourself checked out. Uh, one thing I didn't know that doctors told me was if you have narrow poops, narrow skinny poops, Uh-oh. that means that your uh, bowels are closing off, and that could be a tumor. Um, but also, I mean, don't stress out too much, but if... If you are feeling sick, because I definitely noticed that I was definitely getting more and more sick. Right. So, uh, but the advice is watch out for those night sweats. Yeah. That's what. <laughs> I don't Sounds know. Sounds like just a super, super wet uh, monster. Yeah. Night sweats. Yeah. night. You never want to be visited by night sweats. No, he'll rescue you yeah. in all the ways you don't want. Yeah. Sounds terrible. It does. Sounds like a total nightmare. How many more uh, weeks of chemo do you got to do? I got to do six more months. Six right. more months? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, four different uh, infusions of four different chemicals each time I go in, like big IV bags of it. They installed. They surgically installed a chest port for it to go through. Oh. Um, so that was okay. It's kind of uh, cool, I guess. Yeah, kind of like being a sad cyborg. Just. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but they, uh, yeah, six more months, and then one cool thing with Hodgkin's lymphoma, because there's so many cool things about it, yeah. is that what, it, it rarely goes into just, like, remission. Like, once once you get it out of your system, you're you're pretty much just cured of it. It's not something like bowel cancer, which you can have uh, pop in and out of your life. Like, it, it can come back, yeah. but it, I guess it's not technically remission. I don't know. That's great. And it's a lot, I mean, it's just a lot more, uh, it's a lot sexier to bring up, you know, on a date, you know, that you had uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma as opposed to a bowel cancer. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's just shockingly embarrassing. I mean, for one, a lot of people don't even know what lymph nodes are. Right. So that, that helps with women. Uh, it's my blood that's screwed up. So that's a thing. Um, and nobody likes bowels. I guess not. I mean, I mean, well, I don't know. I'm sure there's some Freud lines out there who would have no problem with dating somebody who had uh, some bowelly uh, conditions. True. Um, all right, buddy. Thank you so much for being here.
Thank you for having me. I, uh, so- I hope that I've been some. I mean, I mean, one message. Uh, yeah, closing I guess if people closing, have yeah. cancer. Is that? Uh, I mean, I I was surprised that I had so many friends, and that so many other people with cancer reached out to, to me. So it's. I mean, the world's not as scary. And I'm not as alone as I thought it would be. Did you? Did it open the doors to a uh, new community of of survivors and people yeah, who are actually, currently? A lot more yeah. people contacted me who have had cancer, and uh, like on what is it on on like Tinder, I put up like a picture of me with my shaved head, and it's like uh, I have cancer. Who wants to fuck? Yeah, and. Uh, it, I mean, none of them wanted to fuck, but a lot, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of girls got back to me, and they were like, "Oh, I had cancer once," right. and it's like I didn't think that would happen at all. But uh, I mean, a half a dozen girls have. I mean, cancer's, re- I mean, pretty common. So. Half a dozen girls, my goodness. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot more. That's a lot more ladies than I have ever experienced. Yeah, it's a lot. Can of- you get hard? Yeah, yeah. I haven't yeah. I haven't been on a date for like in about a year though because it's uh cuz I've been sick. Right, right, know. right, right. It just doesn't feel cool. But I can get hard. There you go. That's great. If you can't, don't try that horny goat weed. Do not, no matter what you do. Yeah. That is not going to work out well for anybody. So ladies, you heard it here first on the Ben Kissel show. Eric Bergstrom can get hard. And he is looking to discuss, you know, a whole bunch of series, a whole series of fun things with you. Absolutely. Come inspect my chess port. And you know he's going to be rich. He's got a GoFundMe going on right now. He's got a chess port. I mean, yeah, this doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, the the GoFundMe's, uh, I think about $30,000. I've never had that much money. That's a 30 grand. He's sitting on 30 k. I'm rich. You can share that with him. I'm Well, I don't know about that, but I'm rich. Well, you, But you're rich. Very rich. I love it. Um, all right, check out Eric Bergstrom's show. Now, what did you say? It was every other Sunday at the Cobra Club in Brooklyn? No, at, at Cobra Club in Brooklyn. Or Friday. Every every Friday. Every Friday. 9 p.m. Uh, come check that out. Uh, there's going to be a fundraiser event on November 4th, I believe at 8 p.m. at the Creek in the Cave, the Creek in the Cave in Long Island City. Yes. Um, that's going to have all kinds of uh, wonderful people on it. Um and, yeah. And, uh, yeah, the creek in the cave, it's got good flautas. So if you go there, then you can have some of those, too. Mm. Eric Bergstrom, and he's also on Twitter. Eric, what is it? Uh, it's Eric underscore Bergstrom, which is E-R-I-K underscore B-E-R-G-S-T-R-O-M. I love it. Rock on, dude. You're crushing it. You're going you're gonna to destroy everything. Double crushing. Double crush. Mike Coscarelli. Mike Coscarelli is on Twitter. He also does a great podcast called Social Villains. How much of a social villain are you, Mike? Uh, like a hundred percent. Hundred percent. You heard it here first. The Ben Kissel Show. <laughs> Mike Coscarelli is one hundred percent a social villain. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Coscarelli. I am on Twitter at Ben Kissel. Make sure to check out my other podcasts on Cave Comedy Radio. Abe Lincoln's top hat. The last podcast on the left, and the Round Table of Gentlemen. Eric, we love you. Go to his GoFundMe. You can just click right there on the link. Donate a couple of bucks. Everything helps. And remember, uh, for every $10 you donate, two of those dollars are going to be going towards his next date. And uh, there's a very good chance he's going to get laid. So help help a man out. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.